What's going on? It's your boy Eddie Truck Gordon, UFC Tough 19 champion, Emmy Award winning fighter, best selling author, and proud owner of FitFam Gym, and most importantly, the founder of the Eddie Truck Gordon Foundation. And you're listening to the Pro Sports Podcasters. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters with your hosts, Nee Wallace Bruce, Corbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We are something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. Welcome back to the Pro Source Podcast. I'm your co-host, Neen Wallace-Bruce, a.k.a. NWB, and I am joined by the talented Mr. Kobe Durand, a.k.a. Kobe. Kobe, how you doing? Fantastic, buddy. You've been a lucky guy lately. You've been a lucky guy? Yeah. What's, yeah. what's, what's um, been going your way? I've been cracking the right NFTs. Yeah? Yeah. All right. Well, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that because I know you're into the UFC strike, and we've got a guest on the show who's into all things MMA, not just UFC, but Bellator and PFL, whatever it is MMA, you name it, he's across it. It is the one and only James Lynch. He is an author and also a podcast host himself, and you can find him on Twitter at Lynch on Sports. James, how's it going? It's going well, guys. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you on, mate. And we had a pretty big uh, card go down in uh, Houston over the weekend in the, the UFC out of Sanya versus Whitaker. What were your thoughts on on the whole event it was a great event uh it's oftentimes you know you see a really good card on paper you don't know if it's going to live up to the hype uh, th this card was fantastic a lot of finishes even the pay-per-view portion of the card was really solid um i thought uh you know just the performances from Tai to avasa from jared cannonier and then of course the main event with uh, israel adesanya and robert whitaker i thought really delivered i know some fans thought it could have been a little bit more exciting i disagree i think it was a, a very good chess match between two of the the best uh, 185 pound fighters in the world and uh i thought it really lived up to the hype i thought uh, all things considered, um, you know, in terms of, you know, the COVID stuff we're dealing with right now, fighters getting pulled off the card, I thought it ended up being a really solid uh, event for the UFC. Absolutely. And they've, that's the one sport that is not only survived, but you could kind of say that they've thrived throughout the, the pandemic. And they've got a fight now coming up featuring a Canadian in uh, Chad and Helliger. And Helliger, you got it. Yep. Oh, see, I, I can pronounce stuff. Remember that, Kobe. Remember to tell Justin <laughs> that. I can pronounce names. What can we expect from Chad in UFC Vegas 48? Well, you brought the right guy on to talk about Chad and Helliger because I've actually done commentary for a couple of his fights uh, here in Vancouver. We have a promotion called Rise FC where Chad was the not only the flyweight champion, but he was the bantamweight champion as well. And uh, what I think you're going to see is a guy who's, uh, you know, getting a very unique opportunity with the UFC. It's not often to see fighters in their mid 30s get a call to the UFC. In fact, the fight that got him into the UFC on Contender Series was a fight where he was a really big underdog and he happened to just use his experience and his fight savviness to, to gut out a, a decision victory. 
victory. And I think that's why they signed him was because this was a guy that was sort of defying the odds. And um, Chad, I think, is uh, has a very winnable fight for himself on Saturday. He's fighting an opponent in Jesse Strader who doesn't have nearly as much experience as he does. And you look at where Chad trains at Champions Creed in Calgary um, with the likes of Hakeem Dewadu, who we saw win a few weeks ago over Mike Trezano. Um, I think it's the, the perfect storm for Chad to go out there and really perform on a high level. And he's one of those guys that didn't have an easy road to the UFC. You know, there was a point in his career where he was, uh, you know, almost uh, ha having a, a losing record or a 500 record. And then once he made the switch to Champions Creed, you've just seen him remain undefeated. And like I mentioned, picked up two belts in uh, Rise FC. One of those wins actually in Rise FC was over Brady Heastand, who you remember was on the Ultimate Fighter. Uh, so fans will be familiar with him as well. But uh, I think Chad's going to go out there and put on a really good performance and, uh, you know, get some wins here because, you know, it's been lacking on the Canadian side of things uh, with, with victories in the Octagon. So it's good to see Chad uh, make his debut this Saturday. There we go. Fly that maple leaf. Yeah, there's a number of up-and-coming Canadians that have popped up on a number of the different promotions, which is good for us here because Canada's sort of been lacking a little bit in the last couple of years when it comes to MMA. But I want to talk a little more about what we've seen so far in 2022 as far as these promotions have have achieved in the most recent events. Right now, there's a lot of different choice for fans of MMA, which is kind of a new thing, right? We got the PFL, you've got Bellator, you know, of Eagle FC run by Khabib. Of course, you got UFC. Do you see the UFC dominance like lasting the way it has? It looks to me like it's maybe actually got real competition now. I think the UFC will always be the number one brand. I, I the, the best example we can use as far as what the UFC has built is I equate it to pro wrestling, where you see the WWE continue to be the gold standard of pro wrestling. Um, I know AEW is certainly making their push. And, you know, there are other promotions out there, like you mentioned, Eagle FC and Bellator. But the reality is the UFC does have the best fighters. They have that brand name. Like, I still see people like, you know, casual friends of mine being like, oh, that's cool. You uh, you, you cover uh, UFC like the, you don't cover MMA, you cover UFC like it's such a strong brand that when people think of mixed martial arts, they think of the UFC. So that alone is, is giving them a leg up. They have the you know years of experience and, and just the fact that they're doing shows every week. That's something not every promotion is doing. So it's constantly being thrown in our faces. And I think right now the UFC is still, you know, despite, you know, the, 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 you know, the moves of Bellator, you know, being on Showtime, despite PFL being on ESPN and other platforms, uh, you've got one championship. I just don't think it's going to be enough to take down the UFC. The only sort of thing that I think is interesting and I don't know if anything will come out of it is the fighter pay issue where you have a heavyweight champion of the UFC, Francis Ngannou, who's complaining about fighter pay, rightfully so. Um, you know, he's a heavyweight champion of the world and he's not, you know, he's not making nearly as much as some of these boxers are. Now, that's a whole debate on its own. But I think where some of these promotions, if they could figure out a way to pay the fighters better and, and you see PFL, for example, one million dollars at the end of their tournament, that's enticing to a lot of fighters. You could see some movement there. But I think at the end of the day, the UFC is built such a strong brand that it's very hard to overtake that. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I see the UFC being sort of like the, the gold standard. And of course, it is the most well-known when it comes right down to it. Fighter pay is an issue. It, it will continue to be an issue. I think part of that, though, comes from the fact that boxing is almost a glamour spectacle, whereas MMA is more of a like a blue-collar kind of sport. Do you see it that way? Um, sorry, can you just repeat that? You just uh, cut out for a second there. Oh, that boxing is more of kind of like a glamour spectacle now. It's not, I don't know, it's, it's almost less of a sport and more of a, a spectacle than it is Ex with MMA, where it's more of a blue collar type sport now. 
Yeah, I, I think, well, boxing, I mean, it's a different model, right? Like with boxing, it's, you know, it's more about the fighters and then they build a card around it. With the UFC, it's about the UFC brand, right? Like that's why you'll see, and, and to, to the UFC's credit, you know, you watch a UFC card, there's a number of good fights on there. With a boxing card, you're maybe getting one, two, maybe three good fights on an entire card. So they're more focused on the names at the top of the heap as opposed to, um, you know, the fighters that are, you know, say on the undercard or whatever. Um, and, and, you know, they can get away with more, right? Like there's no, like the UFC has, uh, you know, a method that they've been using for years where it's you know you walk out like with boxing you can do these cool extravagant walkouts and you can do um you know all types of different things like we saw what triller was doing with you know live music and things like that i think that's good i think you know the typical fight card that we're seeing is uh it's not very you know it's it's, it's kind of bland to be honest and I, I like that about boxing and the other thing that boxing's done a great job with and say what you want about jake paul and, and a lot of the you know the fan base he brings in um it's it's bringing in a new audience it's an audience that the ufc has had a hard time bringing in which is the you know preteen to you know, early 20s YouTube generation, which Jake Paul has, has brought that in in spades, uh, not just him, but, you know, Ryan Garcia, there's other boxers that have really captivated that audience. And it's a big money market that they can continue to bring through. So um, I, I for, for boxing, I should say. So that's something UFC is going to have to deal with at some point. I mean, they're going to continue to do cards regardless. They have this ESPN deal as far as it goes. But I would agree. I think boxing is more an entertainment has become more of an entertainment entity than the UFC has just because there's more freedom to do what they want. That's right. Yeah, I can see the exact same way. Yeah, and it is interesting to see how they've been able to, to leverage that. They've grown and grown, and now they have that kind of influence, I guess, in, in MMA circles. Now, James, you touched on Rise Fighting, which uh, I believe you're a commentator as well as uh, someone who covers the competition. Tell us a little bit more about the Rise Fighting uh, Championship. So it's a local promotion here in British Columbia. Uh, they haven't done any shows this year. They did a show last year, actually, during the pandemic. In fact, they were the first uh, Canadian promotion to have an event during the pandemic. They didn't have any fans. Uh, it was just an event run, just in sort of an empty uh, arena in Victoria. And uh, they had uh, they actually only ended up having, I think, two fights because of all the COVID cancellations. In fact, Chad, I think, was supposed to be on that card um, prior to him, uh, prior to uh, his opponent testing positive for COVID. Um, but yeah, it's just it's a grassroots promotion. Uh, we're seeing more and more Canadian promotions sort of make their mark. Um, you know, we, we have Unified, for example, uh, out of Alberta. They're, uh, they're going to be hosting a show here uh, next month. They're on UFC Fight Pass. You've got Battlefield Fight League here in Vancouver that uh, is also putting on shows. Um, they're just uh, regional promotions where fighters can sort of cut their teeth, build up their record, and eventually make it to, you know, a UFC or Bellator or one of the bigger promotions. But it's I love it because you get to see the future of the sport from amateur fighters to, you know, pro fighters to fighters that just do this as a side hobby. So um, that, that's, uh, that, that's the beauty of being able to sort of cover the sport on, on the ground level absolutely and from memory friend of the show elias theodoru fought in the rfc i think it was last year uh, the mm -hmm. year before yeah he was the main event he fought uh he fought matt dwyer um elias, or unless you're talking about a different card uh because elias did fight on the rise card last year against matt dwyer yes yes that's right uh and yes he is still he's the main event not only in terms of fighting but in terms of his his suit look he's got quite the quite the hairstyle he does, yeah. Well, let's say it's part of part of the sport, right? You gotta you gotta build that brand up a little bit, and uh, you know, hey, if it, if we're talking about it, it's obviously working, right? There we go. Just staying in that same vein, what do you make of, I guess, fighters that because there are clearly fighters that are able to promote themselves well, and there are other fighters out there that do their talking through their fighting style of the way that they win matches, and I'm I'm thinking more of a guy like Khabib. Khabib doesn't really talk a lot, but when he gets into that octagon. You know, everyone watches. What do you make of fighters that are, I guess, a bit mm, quieter or 
that don't necessarily sell themselves. I, I think it's, you know, it, it's hard. It's hard to be a, a superstar when you're not promoting yourself. And look, it, just some fighters are not born promoters. You know, Conor McGregor's a born promoter. Um, Israel Adesanya is a born promoter. John Jones is even a born promoter. But I think you can still succeed in, in the sport. Um, you look at someone like George St. Pierre. I mean, he wasn't really that much of a trash talker or not a huge self, you know, uh, self promoter, so to speak. He just did his talking in the octagon. And I think people like that about him is that he was just sort of a true martial artist, you know, didn't disrespect his opponents that much, you know, went in there, did his job. So, you know, someone like Habib, uh, he's beloved by so many. Like, I see the numbers. This guy is, is one of the most popular fighters in the sport. And I think that's what people like about him is that he just goes in there and he dominates and, you know, doesn't say much else outside of that. So I think there is a place in the sport for that. But, you know, financially, it, it does hurt fighters when they're not, you know, maybe talking as much trash. You do see the UFC push those fighters that certainly are willing to push their brand out there because it's hard. I mean, it's not just the UFC that's struggling marketing their fighters. It's boxing as well. Like, there's only a few select superstars in boxing. And then outside of that, I mean, you know, I I always use the test. You go to a grocery store, you ask, you know, a handful of people about this fighter, whether it's boxing, UFC, most of them are not going to know. And that's just because it's not mainstream, right? Like there's, you know, you, you, you mentioned like a Tyson Fury, of course, people are going to know who that is. But if you name like a Shakur Stevenson or, you know, someone like a Terrence Crawford, they might not know who that is or an MMA, you, you know, mention, uh, you know, Davidson Figueroa. I guarantee you, no one knows who Davidson Figueroa is the flyweight <laughs> champion in the world, but it's just because like, it's so hard to market fighters like that and, uh, and, and really sort of, um, be, make them house old names like the, what, what made Connor and George St. Pierre so successful was not only were they well and especially in Connor's case was not, not only was he such a good self promoter but he was winning fights in exciting fashion people would see his highlights on social media but he also represented something and he represented Ireland and that was such a big deal if Connor McGregor was American I don't think he'd be as big of a star as he is because he's from Ireland he's yep. a global superstar because of that you, you don't see that the same with, with some American fighters so I think it's it you really have to have that triple threat of good self promoter win your fights excitingly and also be representing something so I, I think those are the three things there we go and it's ironic you mentioned that because Bellator I know Bellator is a different competition to what Connor has been in but Bellator now has fights in Dublin and <laughs> you have to think that Connor has had an influence in that regard I guess blazing a trail for other Irish fighters to step up and uh, show their wares on the international stage yeah, I think um, I, I like like I think, you know, you got to look at guys like, you know, GSP and Connor who have really paved the way for other fighters. And, you know, we're seeing it now in the UFC with I mean, he's not Irish, but you're seeing like, you know, Patty Pimblett, Ian Gary. These are fighters that are, you know, up and coming on the come up. And they've looked at, probably at the Connor McGregor playbook of like, hey, we got to self promote. We got to be a good brand and we got to go out there and perform. And it's it's really so difficult to do all those things. But those are the fighters that are going to get paid very well. They're going to continue to get fights. And that's sort of the blueprint of how to succeed in this industry, because it's it's a, it, honestly I think it's the toughest sport to make a living in, to succeed in uh, compared to anything because the pay's not great. And, you know, you lose one fight, you got to sit on it for, you know, months at a time. Uh, if you have a bad fight, if you lose a, you know, an NHL game, you, you get to redeem yourself the next night. It's not the same thing. So um, it is really the toughest sport in the world. Absolutely. It's pretty much a sport that requires some form of a side hustle. And if that's self-promotion, that's self-promotion. But in some way, you've got to be doing something outside of the sport itself to really make a name for yourself, which does make it quite tough. Now, did you see uh, Eagle FC 44, the first one under Habib? 
I did. Yeah, I, I did. I did catch it. I didn't watch it live, but I, I caught it uh, after the fact. Yeah, I mean, pretty solid card. I wasn't a fan of some of the matchmaking on the card, you know, in terms of like when Jorgen DeCastro fought Sean Asher. I mean, it was pretty obvious who's going to win that fight. I know yeah. heavyweights are, are not easy to come by on the regional scene, but still, I mean, that was a total mismatch. I like the Ray Borg and Cody Gibson fight. I think that's the type of matchmaking I like seeing uh, with the promotion where they have, you know, two guys that are definitely UFC caliber, but for whatever reason, especially in Cody Gibson's case, they haven't brought him back. Ray Borg had some weight cut issues. That's why he was uh, let go from the UFC. But that was a really good fight. Um, Rashad Evans winning, I think, was a nice storyline, even though I don't really know what you do with Rashad Evans. Like, that's great. He won this fight. But what's the end goal with Rashad, right? Like, he shouldn't really be fighting at his age. So I have mixed reviews with Eagle FC. I think the positive here is that it's another opportunity for fighters to to make some money and to have opportunities. But I don't like the idea of like what they're going to be doing a couple cards from now is the, you know, Diego Sanchez and Kevin Lee fight. There's no reason to do that fight. Diego Sanchez, in my opinion, shouldn't be fighting anymore. I, I would like to see Kevin Lee against you could still put him against a UFC vet but not Diego Diego's I mean it's just the guy's taking so much damage and Kevin Lee was still a decent fighter before getting released I I just don't see Diego winning that and I think Kevin Lee's going to go out there and and, and absolutely starch uh, Diego Sanchez so we'll see yeah I mean Diego is basically just walking scar tissue at this point yeah Uh, you know there's gonna be blood all over the ring by the end of the first (laughs) right it's yeah it's gonna be an ugly fight but it'll be a fight that can be entertaining for fans so i see why they're doing it and for that purpose i think the rashad evans fight again was just to bring additional eyes to the promotion get people to watch it for the first time a lot of that first card i think was set up just to get people to watch it the first time i wasn't that thrilled with how a lot of the fights turned out but we'll see how it goes from here This episode is brought to you by Kettlebell Kickboxing Canada. Get into your best shape with their comprehensive programs. So sign up now to either their basic package or warrior package with the code PSPKB, all caps, for 15% off. Stay fit this winter with Kettlebell Kickboxing Canada. Now coming up, we've got some pretty major matchups coming up. One that I'm really interested in is uh, Prohashka versus Teixeira. Yes, what can't you, wait for that what one. What do you think about that matchup? I'm really excited for that one. I actually had the opportunity to speak to Yuri when the fight was confirmed. And I don't know if you guys are aware, Yuri is in the United States right now training at Fight Ready, which is the gym that Henry Cejudo trains at. And John Jones is there now. And so it's been uh, really cool to see Yuri uh, switch things up for this camp because, uh, you know, Glover, obviously great on the ground, good wrestling. So that's, you know, hopefully going to, you know, fill up some of those holes that maybe Yuri has had in the past here. But that's such a question mark to me because, you know, Glover Teixeira has proven over the last couple of fights that he is a very durable guy, even his age you know you look at uh, some of the guys that he's fought that you know have knockout power like a tiago santos or jan blahovich uh mm-hmm. glover's found a way to win and get it done and i think we learned in the fights with tiago and anthony smith that if you can't put away glover to share early you're probably going to lose the fight because Glover has an ability to go five rounds and to put you out late in the fight. And Yuri's got to be careful of that because Yuri is great as he is. And he's definitely one of my favorite fighters, one of my favorite interviews uh, as well. Uh, he does get hit a lot. In fact, in that Dominic Reyes fight, he was actually knocked out momentarily in that fight, came to his senses and then was able to knock out Reyes in that fight. Um, so that's what's interesting about that matchup. The other fact is that there's no one really like Yuri in the weight class. Like he's just such an unorthodox striker that I don't even know how a Glover to share would prepare for a Yuri Prohaska. So uh, really excited about that one. I mean, I, I'm kind of on the line of thinking that I'm only going to pick against Yuri when he loses and he hasn't lost yet in the UFC. So <laughs> I'm still going to stick with him there. But if we're talking about a Glover Teixeira uh, to successful title defense the next day, it wouldn't shock me at all. Um, it's such a close fight and a very intriguing matchup to see if Glover can continue to perform at, at a high level at his age. 
I'm with you on Yuri. I'm actually, in fact, stacking uh, Prohaska UFC strike NFTs in anticipation of that title match because I expect him to win it, really. Yeah, no, I'm, I I think there's going to be a, a lot of hype if he is able to go out there and uh, and get it done. So really an uh, awesome fight that, that's coming up. We have so many good fights coming up on the, on, the, on the docket here soon. Just switching gears, James, you are quite multifaceted in terms of what you do. You're not just a, a journalist, you're also a writer, you're a podcast host, you're a commentator. How did you get to be where you are now, if you don't mind? I'll give you the, uh, well, I don't know how much time we have. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll give you kind of the, uh, the Coles notes and then we can kind of expand on some points. So like I grew up, well, you guys know, I grew up in Canada. Um, like most Canadians, I wanted to be a hockey reporter, hockey journalist. And then partway through when I was going to university, I started watching the UFC through the ultimate fighter. Actually, it was the first season. And I was like, this is really cool. And just kind of to go back even further than that, like for a brief period in my teens, I was a pro wrestling fan. So part of the stuff that I liked about pro wrestling is something that came into when I was watching ultimate fighter in that, like, I sort of liked certain characters on that first season, but this was real, right? It wasn't fake. So that really drew me towards that and, and just the competitiveness of it. Like I've always been a fan of all sports. So to see what these guys are putting into the sport, I really became a big fan. And then uh, I, I sort of got my first glimpse of working in this industry when I moved to Toronto in 2008, I think. Um, I worked at the Fight Network. And at the time, Mauro Ronaldo was there. John Pollock was there. John Ramdeen was there. Um, so I really got exposed to some really high level guys in this industry and got to work as an editor actually to start out and that was sort of my first glimpse of this and I kind of knew this is where I belonged was in this industry because I really liked it I felt like there was a lot I had to offer and then I stayed at Fight Network for a few years and then I bounced around in terms of my day job uh, working at a bunch of different places I worked at TSN I worked at Discovery Channel um, just as doing editing jobs because those were paying well like I wasn't getting paid great at Fight Network so it's like I can't do this forever and you guys know you know living in Toronto how expensive it is so I was like okay I can't I can't just you know do this job and, and hope to get by like I got to make some more money so I was always doing doing this on the side though I started doing remote video interviews uh, for a website called MMA Oddsbreaker and they were like hey we like your stuff we'll start paying you and I was like all right so this seems kind of cool because I've always wanted to be on camera and then um, I, I just you know I started sort of just doing fighter interviews and I always made a point of like you know I'm going to interview everyone I'm not just going to interview UFC fighters and it turns out a lot of the fighters I ended up interviewing on the regional scene went to the UFC so I've had those relationships for years you know we're talking fighters like Sean O'Malley Mackenzie Dern um, you know just a handful of fighters that are now like household names so um, so I was doing this on the side. Fast forward to 2017. I was working at Rogers. I was a digital coordinator, kind of an easy, you know, benefits, all this, like a nice day job, really. It was an easy job. It was get paid well. And then when I became a dad in 2017, um, I couldn't do both because I was doing this. Like I basically go to work, come home, and then I do some interviews at night, like throughout the week. But, you know, obviously if you're a dad, you can't do that. So I talked to my wife. I kind of added up the financial side of things. And I was like, look, if I just get a few more outlets that I'm working for, I could probably do this full time. And that's what I did because for the longest time I thought okay I got to work for like an MMA fighting or MMA junkie and do that full time but those jobs are so hard to get like they don't come up often a lot of it is timing a lot of it is right place right time and it just never happened for me at that point so I thought okay well let me just try this a little bit differently let's see if I can work for a couple different outlets and do that full time and so that's what I've basically been doing since 2017 and uh, yeah I do I do a variety of things like ma mainly what I do are interviews like remote interviews I work for I think I'm not even joking I think I work for like 14 companies right now uh, some of them, you know, there's, there's, there, there's like a few where I do maybe like two interviews a month, nothing crazy, but that basically adds up to what would be a full-time 
salary. And then I do some other like betting content, some writing. Um, I do a bit of everything. Um, thankfully, I have a background in television. Like I was telling you guys uh, off air that, you know, I went to school for television broadcasting. So I know how to edit video. I know how to use Photoshop. So all those things have sort of helped me in this industry. And I'm basically my own boss. Like I basically just provide content for sites. That's my, you know, that's sort of my day job. And then I have my YouTube channel on the side, which is where I do my podcasts and other things. And that's funded by, you know, some sponsorships. And also I get, you know, um, you know, some other stuff in terms of, uh, you know, people donate during the live chats and things like that. So it's been a, it's been an interesting career path, but I'm super grateful, super lucky to be in this position, but it's also a lot, a, a lot of years of me putting time into building up a brand and becoming my own thing. Yeah. And, uh, salute that you're doing what you love and you're, you're clearly very good at it, I guess. Well, thank you. Has anyone ever called you the linchpin? Is that, is that uh, they haven't, but I'm sure I've got a play on, uh, on on my last name, I'm sure. And, you know, people are like, you know, are you related to Marshawn or John Lynch or any, you know what I mean? Like, I get that. But no, I uh, linchpin is, uh, it's cool. You know, I got a pretty awesome last name. Hey, there's a wrestler, Becky Lynch, who's got a pretty awesome uh, career going. So uh, to have that last name is is, is pretty cool. But uh, yeah, that's that's my thing is like, I, uh, you know, uh, my, uh, you mentioned off the top there, my, my Twitter handle, my YouTube is always Lynch on sports. And people are like, why isn't it Lynch MMA? Well, it's because if I ever ever want to go cover any other sports i'm not limited so that's why i've always kept lynch on sports in case anyone's wondering fair enough are there any other sports that you're into hockey big big hockey fan yeah so yeah. that's that's got to be number two uh in terms of um what i enjoy doing uh like like watching like i you know i played hockey growing up my my um, i you know i watch i'm a big vancouver canucks fan i watch all their games um so hockey's probably number two and then you know i'm like a casual fan of other sports like nfl football, um, basketball uh, i love playing golf i don't watch a lot of golf but i love playing golf and yeah i think that's about it for for the sports uh, spectrum there fair enough are the canucks gonna do something this season or not really? I hope they do a bunch of trades because uh, this team is not going anywhere. It's, uh, it's been, well, I will say I'm so happy that they got rid of Jim Benning. Eight years of failure. They finally snapped out of it. They got rid of the coach. They got rid of Jim Benning. It's great to see them recognize their weaknesses and that this team is not built, not even for the playoffs, not, let alone a contender. So I, I'm hoping they're going to be some changes. I'm of the belief that, you know, you don't have to blow up the entire team, but let's start getting rid of some of this really bad salary cap space. Like to look at their blue line, their defensive core, and how much is allocated to that defense. It's just embarrassing. Like it is like, I don't even know how you could screw up that badly and have that much allocated to just, you know, number six number seven defenseman basically like there's not even like all Reckman Larson's not a number one defenseman Tucker Pullman's not a number one defenseman like there's all these guys they have that are just dead cap weight so I'm interested to see Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvine and the new uh you know core group that they put together which looks impressive but they got to do these moves they got to start clearing some cap space and I'm willing to you know trade some of our fan favorites if it means us clearing some cap space and having a, a brighter future there we go we look forward to seeing that hopefully fingers crossed for you and your team yeah, taking the analyst hat off for a second, you know, you're a fan, obviously, of MMA. Who, who have you been the biggest fan of? I have kind of a unique, uh, I, one of my favorite fighters of all time is uh, Gegard Mousasi. I've always liked him. He, okay. uh, you know, he fought in Pride, fought in UFCs, the current Bellator middleweight champion. I actually just interviewed him on Monday. I just, I, I don't know. There's something about him I like. He's, he's very different. He like walks into the cage like he just got up from a nap. He's a very good fighter. I think he's one of the most underrated fighters in MMA right now. I think had he stayed in the UFC, he would have given a lot of middleweights problems. Remember, he beat Chris Weidman. I think people forget that. And, and I think that, um, yeah, he's just, he's like a funny guy. Like he's just got a really quirky 
personality and there's really no one like him in the sport so he's one i like israel adesanya a lot i love what he does for the sport i think he's exciting uh, i think fans are weird when it comes to like not liking him i think he's uh you know he does some weird stuff but at the same time like he's a good self-promoter good trash talker i like watching him fight uh always like watching valentina shoshenko compete you know she's always bringing it uh really again kind of a unique personality very like you know people call her like a spy because she's you know speaks all these languages and she travels all the time i think that's like a cool little angle that that people have been sort of mentioning but i think in general it's uh yeah there's just i I like i like a lot of fighters i'd be here all day if if i named a bunch but those three are just ones that came to mind right now and when you started watching the beginning of uh, the ultimate fighter did you pick the winner in that case or no no, I, uh, I, um, I, I like, you know, I like Chris Liebman. I don't know why I kind of felt sorry for the guy. He had like a bad upbringing and, and everything. And I remember he kind of got picked on on the show and you could see he was yeah. a good fighter. He liked to, you know, knock people out and everything. And of course he didn't make it. Uh, it ended up being Diego Sanchez, uh, in his weight class, but, uh, and side note, how crazy is it that Kenny Florian fought on that show as a middleweight, which is crazy to think that he fought for the featherweight title uh, in the UFC, but, um, <laughs> like, yeah, it was just such a unique cast back then. And you know, the, the success of the ultimate fighter, uh, I think early on was because of the fact that there was no streaming services back then. So like when you were watching the ultimate fighter, you really were watching the best prospects. Now you can't really say that because you've got contender series, you've got LFA, and it seems like a lot of times they're casting fighters that they think would be interesting on TV, not necessarily the best fighters. So yes. I think the days of seeing the old ultimate fighter is kind of gone. I mean, you still get some you know talented guys. We just saw Brian battle, for example, win a few weeks ago. Uh, I think he's a talented guy, but um, in general, um, yeah, that first season, I just thought there were so many unique characters. Like, like think of that season, how stacked it was in terms of looking back and who was on that show you had Forrest Griffin you had Stefan Bonner you had uh you know Kenny Florian Diego Sanchez Josh Koscheck Chris Liebman like these are all like fighters that were like mainstays in the UFC for years Mike Swick I thought was a very good fighter too like yeah. it's just interesting to see who came out of that show and who ended up you know having long careers and uh I, I just yeah it's still my favorite season I, I definitely uh, enjoyed watching that and having Randy and Chuck as the coaches was cool too Right on. And do you believe or do you feel like Oliveira has earned his respect and should the fans be behind him now? I think he has. I was looking at the betting odds. Looks like he's the favorite. He was the underdog the last fight. I've been on the Oliveira train for a while. Ever since he beat Kevin Lee, I was like, okay, this guy's legit because okay. it, what that showed me in that fight was that his standup has improved so much. Like I think people forget in that fight, he basically outstruck Kevin Lee and then then came in and finished him. Um, and and if, you, if your standup's good and you're already known as a ground guy, like that's a dangerous combination. And I, I figured he was going to beat Poirier. I didn't think he'd necessarily submit him, but I, I felt like he had some advantages. And then even against Chandler, like he was close. Like Chandler nearly finished him but his chin is is just you know something to behold so i think uh like even with gaethje i think the gaethje fight is very similar to the michael chandler fight and i I see him beating gaethje to be honest i think islam's going to be the real test for him uh if that does end up happening yeah i predicted the finish again i predicted the submission actually against poirier i thought he would get it and he got it now was there anything else that you wanted to share with our audience before we, we let you get back to the the many different hats that you're wearing uh, sure. Yeah. Just, uh, you know, easiest way to get a hold of me is uh, on uh, social media, on Twitter, on Instagram, at Lynch on Sports. My DMs are always open. If anyone has any questions about the industry or anything, I do get hit up a lot. I'm more than happy to talk about it because it is a crazy industry with a lot of different, uh, you know, a lot of different things going on. So more than happy to do that. But uh, you can find all my work on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Lynch on Sports. Um, I have playlists on there. I work for a bunch of different outlets. A lot of those interviews end up on those outlets, YouTube pages. But what I do is I take the interviews and I put them on playlists on my channel so they're easy to find i have a ufc interviews playlist there we go the linchpin the the one-stop shop for all things mma and sports in general lynch on sports you got it yeah it's been a pleasure to have you on and hey pleasure's all mine thanks buddy 
If you have any questions for the Pro Sports Podcasters, be sure to reach us on our Twitter account, where you can also slide into our DMs and catch the latest snippets, dirt, and other exclusive things that we will tweet. Check us out at P Podcasters on Twitter.